Hi everyone, welcome to this week's podcast. We are continuing our series, uh, Praying Life, and this week we are looking at the line, uh, forgive us for our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We hope you enjoy the talk. Now today, um, I am continuing uh, our series as a part of our, as our Live Like Jesus discipleship framework. Um, our series at the moment is a praying life, a praying life. And in this series, we have been looking at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we see this in Luke's gospel account of the life of Jesus. And at the start of chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, this is what we read. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. That's John the Baptist. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. So this is how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And therefore, this is how he teaches us as, as his church to pray as well. Uh, and we, over the last few weeks, we've worked through this prayer, this kind of framework, uh, kind of line by line. And today we arrive at forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Now, many of us might know that slightly differently. I, so for me, I grew up in the Anglican faith, so you might have a slightly different way of saying it. The prayer was, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's very similar. The, the gist is the same. So why does Jesus teach us to pray like this? Well, there is nothing accidental about what he has included in this prayer. So today, what I want to do is just spend a few minutes exploring why he teaches us to pray for both forgiveness, our own forgiveness, and to forgive others. And I think there's three main things that we learn from looking at this prayer. The first is this, it leads us back to God. It leads us back to God. Our humanity is built into the Lord's Prayer. Our humanity, our weaknesses, our brokenness, our limitations, mistakes, and failures, they are all right there in the middle of this, this simple prayer. By teaching us how to pray for forgiveness, Jesus is rooting this prayer in the heart of the human condition. And I think we should be deeply reassured by this. Jesus is showing us something here. He is saying, you don't have to deal with your sin before you talk to God. You talk to God to deal with your sin. Let me say that again. You don't have to deal with your sin before you talk to God. You talk to God to deal with your sin. So Jesus is teaching here, is tackling things head on. He's putting forgiveness front and center. Saying our humanity is not a reason not to talk to God, but instead it is exactly what we should be talking to God about. The Lord's Prayer helps us to not hide. You may be familiar. You remember the first sin? If you're familiar with the Bible, the book of Genesis, you'll be familiar with this. The Garden of Eden, the fall of, of man. Adam and Eve, they hide from God's presence. Why? Because their guilt and their shame drives a wedge between them and their creator. And they hide. They abandon connection with him because they've gone against him. Well, we must not hide away in our sin and shame. Take it directly to God. This is what we pray about. 
There's a wonderful clip, uh, you may have seen it on the um, Vineyard UK and Ireland YouTube channel. I've subscribed to it if you don't already. Uh, and Jay Pafford, who is the national director of uh, Vineyard USA, is on it. And in it, he's asked, can you, can you share the gospel in 60 seconds? And he smiles and just says, I can do it in 20. And he simply says this, I love this. He just says this, you're a mess, God is amazing. He's done all the work, receive his grace, and you enter into his family. A free gift that you must receive. It's pretty punchy, isn't it? 20 seconds, the gospel in 20 seconds. And I've just, I've always loved that, especially the first two sentences. You're a mess, God is amazing. And if I apply that to myself, I am a mess, God is amazing. That's the kind of humanity we see in the Lord's Prayer. Now, let me tell you about uh, a few months back, I actually had to get into a taxi. And I could tell it was one of those taxi drivers. I, I knew I was going to be in the car for about 15, 20 minutes. And very quickly, it was one of those ones where, like, this isn't going to be your average taxi driver. This isn't your average taxi driver. When if, within a few seconds, the driver uh, was chatting to me. And he wanted to know what I did when I told him. He kind of said, oh, wow, I'm in the presence of a priest. I was like, well, something like that, yeah. Um, but anyway, he was obviously a very deep-thinking man, and he was asking lots of existential questions. He uh, tried to tell me he had a faith, um, not a Christian faith, a uh, different faith, but uh, it was lapsed. And he was really searching. He knew there was more to life, but he didn't kind of know more than that. And he was saying that he's trying to do his best in life, but he was always frustrated and disappointed with how other people behave and what they do. We started to build some rapport as we chatted, and he asked me about Christianity. And, um, and I got the chance to kind of tell him what my faith uh, means to me. And then at one point, I kind of said to him, I'm a mess. I'm broken. And if I'm a mess, then you're a mess, because we're all a mess, and we all need God. And as I said that, it was interesting, he like visibly almost deflated, physically kind of hit him. It was just too hard for him to hear. I could tell he didn't want to confront that, even though I thought deep down I sensed he knew it to be true. He was telling me that he is okay and that everyone else is the problem. But then when I said to him, well, none of us are okay, he just couldn't go there. It was easier for him to look at other people and their issues, but he doesn't want to hear that for himself. The Lord's Prayer ensures that we don't end up in that place ourselves. Think of Luke chapter 18. Uh, Jesus, says, Jesus tells a parable to capture exactly this. This is verse, uh, verses 9 to 14. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. For us, by asking for forgiveness, is to adopt the heart of the tax collector, to acknowledge that we are all sinners, that we all fall short, and it's saying, God, have mercy on me. It means that as we approach God, we come with a posture of humility, not pride. 
I want to highlight to you the practice of confession. Confession is where we bring ourselves to God and ask him to shine a light on all those moments and those patterns of behaviour where there is regret, if not, if not remorse. Confession is incredibly powerful. It removes a barrier between us and God, which stops us from moving into intimacy with him. There's been countless times in my life where I can think of seasons where I felt, I felt like God's been really distant. And I've been trying to get onto that headspace where I thought, God, I just need you to draw close to me. Whereas what I've often discovered is it's not that. It's actually that I need to come to him with, in confession. And it's almost like I get rid of all the clutter that's getting in the way. And then I experience an intimacy and closeness that wasn't there. Frederick uh, Buchner says this, to confess your sins to God is not to tell him anything he doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they are the abyss between you. When you confess them, they become a bridge. That's so helpful, isn't it? The confession is the difference between an abyss, that gap, and a bridge to God. Now, on a practical level, confession often requires intentionality, and it is a personal journey we all go on. I grew up in a church culture where the kind of confession was done through the liturgy, and it was kind of very kind of repetitive every week. And it, sadly for me, it kind of lost its meaning and its power. But confession is an absolutely key practice, and one that we need to rediscover if it's something that we are not doing at the moment. There are lots of different ways of making this happen regularly. Uh, perhaps you want to do it on a daily basis. Um, I personally like the one that Pete Gregg in his book, How to Pray, that one he maps out. He just talks about four things. One, to replay. So the idea of uh, just pausing at the end of each day, just to kind of almost work through the day in your, in, your, in your heart and your mind. Secondly, to rejoice, to spot all the good things, to thank God for all the moments of gratitude and uh, good things he's doing in our lives. But then thirdly, repent, to, to dwell on all the things that have not been, not been so good and to give them to God. And then fourthly, to reboot, have that moment to give them again to God and say, we go again tomorrow. God, speak to me, change me. Let's go again. And in small group, if you're part of a small group in this church, perhaps online or in person, this week in small groups, we're going to give more time to looking at the practice of confession. So do look out for that. So firstly, we've talked about how uh, the Lord's Prayer, this part of the Lord's Prayer, teaches us, it leads us back to God. And then secondly, it leads us into his grace. It leads us into his grace. Now, what do you think of when you think of receiving God's forgiveness? Does it conjure up an image in your mind or perhaps it evokes a feeling in your soul? Well, for many of us, our minds will and our hearts will go to the story of the prodigal son, the story, the parable told by Jesus. It's the son who flagrantly and brazenly disregards and disrespects his family, in particular his father, and goes on his own way. He wastes all his inheritance. Uh, he gets himself into a right mess. He ends up with no money, no friends, no purpose. And he hits, he hits rock bottom. And in his desperation, he returns to his family, to his father, to beg for forgiveness. And the father's response is, out, is astounding. It's one of outrageous and undiluted, um, sorry, undiluted forgiveness. There's, the father's like, no need for speeches. You came back and that's all I need. I will run to you as soon as I see you. My arms are open wide to you, for you have come home. When Jesus teaches us to pray and teaches us to ask for forgiveness, he is steering us towards that unfailing, unyielding grace of God. 
It's this that keeps our hearts soft and our eyes open to the goodness of God. Tim Keller says this, We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. To step into God's forgiveness is to step into the full embrace of our Heavenly Father. Jesus teaches us to pray in a way that we don't settle for anything less. Forgiveness isn't just getting things okay enough. It's not like one of those moments where like, it's okay, we're good, let's shake hands on it, let's, 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 let's move on. Forgiveness isn't a handshake, it is the full embrace. It's where we have our slate totally, fully wiped clean. Uh, in Matthew's Gospel of the same account of Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, the Greek translation is slightly different. It actually says, forgive us, not, not forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts, debts. And that is the Greek word, ophilimata, uh, which is a commercial term. It denotes something that which is owed or which is due. It's an obligation to pay something or to give something. And perhaps it's helpful to think of it in these terms. I remember, uh, this is several years ago, I remember going for lunch with a good friend of mine. And when I arrived, uh, he had been working at, kind of at this coffee table where we were meeting. And he had his laptop out and he had his paperwork everywhere. And I could sense straight away that it wasn't a good day. He was been having a tough time. And as we talked, he actually showed me, he showed me this sheet of paper. And on this sheet of paper was this very long list. And on one side was all the names. And then on the other side were these amounts. And it was all the money that his company that he was running owed to people. And I looked through this sheet of paper. I felt, actually felt very kind of overwhelmed on his behalf. And then he looked at me and said, that's not, that's not, that's not all of it. And then he showed me a second full page and even a third page with all these names and these amounts. Now, everything in me wanted to help when I looked at it. I just, all I wanted to do is I just wanted to take that, those pieces of paper and I wanted to just rip them up, screw them up, throw them in a bin. I wanted to burn them, just take them away. Jesus teaches us to pray for forgiveness so that we can experience the freedom that comes from having our own list, our own list of debts, our own list of burdens thrown away. No list is too long or too shameful. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection means that it has all been taken away fully. We just have to ask. Pete Gregg says it perfectly. He says this, there is more grace in God than sin in you. Let me say that again. There is more grace in God than sin in you. So Jesus teaches us to pray like this so that we would know the extent of God's grace for us. So, firstly, we've said that this part of the Lord's Prayer uh, leads us back to God. Secondly, we've said it leads us into his grace. And then finally, what I want to say, the third part of it is that it leads us into transformation. It leads us to transformation. As I said at the start, we are looking at how Jesus taught us to pray as part of our wider discipleship framework in this church. What it means to live like Jesus. What does it mean to live like him? And in this church, we want to have a culture of transformational discipleship where our lives are increasingly characterised by the time where we, that we spend with Jesus and by doing the things that he did. When Jesus teaches us to pray for forgiveness of sins, as we forgive those who sin against us, it is another moment of him inviting us into that transformation. I mentioned earlier the importance of confession, but it is important that we don't just stay 
there. Otherwise, we can end up in this kind of permanent posture where we're like, we feel like we're the prodigal son, just kind of crawling back just to be told off. Instead, we approach a throne of grace, a throne of grace. As we approach God, we are his children. Note in the Lord's Prayer, it starts with our Father, our Heavenly Father. We approach as his children. And the Lord's Prayer helps us to lead into our identity as children. We might approach as sinners, but we lead as sons and daughters. If it helps, think of it like this. It's as if we are approaching God. We say to God, and in his love for us, we say, Lord, we have some stuff we need to sort out. We've got to sort it out. And his response is not to scold us or to tell us off. Instead, it's almost like he says, well, let's lay it all out. Let's deal with it. Like a child with their father. That's how we approach the throne of grace. And we're transformed by this forgiveness that we receive and that we experience. We are taught to talk to God about the grievances we cannot avoid. If, if you and me and everyone are sinners, if we're all a bit of a mess, then at some point we're going to be on the receiving end of someone else's sin. It's one of those unavoidable things in life. Just as we sin against others, there will be others who have wronged us, betrayed us, offended us, upset us, let us down. And then we are left with a choice, aren't we, the other side of that. Well, Jesus teaches us to pray uh, sorry, Jesus teaches us to pray to forgive those who sin against us, and because this is God's best for us. And if we don't, what are we left with? Well, there's unforgiveness, but unforgiveness is actually a loss of freedom. It's where our soul closes down. It's where we kind of get entrapped by, by a grudge or by resentment. Marianne Williamson, this is a great quote, she says this, unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. But it can be so hard to forgive, can't it? It's all too, often, all too often a decision that probably ultimately starts in our head first, and we make that choice mentally long before our heart and our soul catches up. But Jesus teaches us to pray that we would forgive others so that we are talking to God, so we are talking to God about the things that would bring transformation rather than stagnation or even regression. Lewis uh, B. Smeads, this is another good quote, he says this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you. How wonderful that we are to pray in a way that brings freedom, that releases us from the captivity of unforgiveness. Our prayers lead us to transformation, transformation that comes from the inside out. And as we have said many times before in this church, we are transformed to bring transformation. To pray for forgiveness and to forgive those who have sinned against us is to bring transformation to our world. Uh, the theologian Tom Wright, in his commentary on the Lord's Prayer, puts it in a, in a helpful way. He talks of how Jesus calls his followers to be what he calls forgiveness of sin people. We are to be forgiveness of sin people. I really love that. It's the premise that if we, as the church, as the followers of Jesus, are becoming the salt of the earth, we're becoming the light of the world, then we must be people who both forgive and be forgiven. Let me try and capture this in a, in a little story. A few weeks back, uh, it was a beautiful, sunny, kind of crisp spring morning. It was a Saturday, and I was with one of my sons, and I was uh, coaching his, his football team. He plays junior football. And it was all going very well. I, um, it was, the game kicked off. 
all the kids are running around, a couple of dolls were scored, everyone's very happy. One of the kids did one of the uh, Cristiano Ronaldo arm thing celebrations, that was a particular highlight. Everyone's having a great time. And then about five minutes into the game, uh, there's a rather hefty kind of shoulder barge goes in. And about 30 seconds later, one of the, on the other team, uh, another quite a meaty tackle goes in. And suddenly it's all getting a little bit, a little bit niggly. So myself and the other coach and the other team just shout, you know, have a few words, everyone just calm down, let's just keep it fun. Just a game and so on, and everyone, everyone calms down. A few minutes later, it all kicks off again. We've got studs up, we've got an elbow flying, and some of the boys look more like wrestlers than they do footballers at this point. Uh, and this time, myself and the other coach again, this time we make a few substitutions, get a few people off, just everyone simmer down a bit, take, take a breath, and let's just try and refine our equilibrium here. But to my despair, and I think the despair of the other coach, a few minutes later, like something has changed in this and we cannot, it cannot be stopped. Before we know it, like pretty much every player on the pitch, shouting, complaining, pushing, shoving, kicking out, taunting each other. It's a total mess. It's a total mess. And I look at my, my stopwatch, there's a few minutes left and we ca I catch the eye of the other coach and we look at each other and we just, there's this mutual moment of agreement, which is, should we just stop it now? Let's just stop the game. So we had to finish it early. That's the, the chaos of junior football. What a shame. But I tell you that story because it paints a picture. There's that vicious cycle, isn't there, of angst that then leads to anger and upset that then leads to retaliation and recrimination. Unforgiveness leads to retaliation and recrimination, but it is forgiveness that leads to redemption and reconciliation. Lord, teach us how to pray. In his response, Jesus is showing us not just God's best for us, but what's best for our world. So may we receive his forgiveness as we ask for it. And as we receive it, let's make sure we forgive those who sin against us. I'd love to finish uh, by reading the first part of Psalm 51, uh, which you may be familiar with. It's the prayer of King David, as his heart was full of repentance. He had done an awful thing, and he was on his knees crying out to God. The same, almost the same prayer as that tax collector. God have mercy on me, a sinner. This psalm shows a heart that has turned back to God in full humanity. It is a heart that is turning to the throne of grace. And in a moment of visceral remorse is seeking forgiveness. And David's story is our story too. We are also, in our humanity, the ones who need to seek forgiveness and experience the grace of God. So as I read this, I pray that this will be our prayer this week. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Amen.